0: From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, I'm Mike Jordan Lasky. When I say the word Lent, what is the first thing you think of? Maybe it's purple or giving up social media or chocolate. Maybe it's trying to build better prayer habits or abstaining from meat on Fridays. Or maybe you think of famous Lenten scripture passages like the Transfiguration. For Margaret Felice, my guest today, one thing that's always near the top of her mind when it comes to Lent is music. And to be honest, music is often at the top of her mind when it comes to anything. Margaret is a professional singer and liturgical musician with an absolutely stunning voice. She's also a terrific writer and a first year doctoral student in theology at Boston College's Clough School of Theology and Ministry. Margaret taught religion and directed a liturgical choir at Boston College High School for 18 years. I asked Margaret to pick two of her favorite Lenten hymns that we could discuss, and she picked, Again, We Keep This Solemn Fast, and Were You There. And as a totally surprising gift I did not ask for, Margaret went ahead and recorded herself singing both of these hymns, along with accompanist Chris Rakovic on piano. We'll include excerpts from both hymns in the episode. Margaret and I also talked about the role of the Lenten season within our spiritual lives and what opportunities this yearly observance gives us to grow in faith, hope, and love. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts, and thanks for joining us. Margaret Felice, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time. How are you?
1: I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Excited to talk to you about Lent. Um, Which, you know, excitement and Lent don't always go hand in hand for me. I find Lent kind of sad, dour and difficult. But you tell me just before we started, what isn't there to love about Lent? So you're a fan of Lent. Uh, We're going to get into that via music. But maybe we could just start. um, Why do you why do you like Lent? Like what's what's there to recommend Lent?
1: oh, why do I like Lent? I'm, I'm heartbroken to hear that it's not your favorite. We'll see if maybe I, I can change your mind or convince you a little bit by, by the end of our time together. The thing that has always really attracted me about Lent is just that it's so explicit, both in liturgical practices and rubrics and in sort of our cultural practices about an effort to sanctify time. And... It, as a community, we have these practices that make it hard to forget that we're in a time that's a little bit set apart. Um, you know, just recently on Ash Wednesday, I was lucky enough to sing at a number of different services at shrines and parishes and, and universities. And they were all packed with people who I think were really drawn to. Um, this, A, the idea of an identity marker. I think people really like having a moment when they're reminded physically um, of their faith and their affiliation, but also just with, you know, it's the middle of the week and we're starting something new and someone stopped me in Target and said, Lent is here already. It's Ash Wednesday already. I thought it came at this time. Well, this year it comes at this time. So it moves around, kind of gives us something to pay attention to. But at its core, I think what's so attractive about it for me, like I said, is that it marks time in a particular way. And it's something that we do communally that then we bring into our shared prayer. I, I wonder too, if, you know, everybody has their things that they need to work on. For me, it's always been self-discipline. It's always been self-restraint. So having a time to focus on, um, building resistance to temptation to finding in the everyday a way to practice what someday we will need more urgently. Um, These gifts of self-restraint and self-discipline is something that is very helpful for me and also i think it's very wise that we only do it for six weeks or so and not (laughs) try to do it all the time um because that's just not how many of us are wired. Also, purple is my favorite color.
0: So. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can't go wrong there. Purple is also our four-year-old kid's, our youngest kid's favorite color. And we were just trying... My wife was just explaining Lent to him the other night because he was asking for more treats. And he always asks for treats, and we usually relent. But we were just sick of giving him treats in this particular night. So my wife said, like, oh, no, it's Lent, so you, you can't have any treats. And he was confused about that. And then she explained and then mentioned Easter, though. You know, you'll get to have maybe even two treats on the same day, maybe three. And he was very interested in this and that the time felt different. And then he stopped asking him for treats, you know, like immediately, which is, was rare. Wow. Um, but yeah, so like there is like, and it does feel as again, having like Ash Wednesday on Valentine's day this year and having Valentine's they feel different in terms of like a, a time marked off that has a different vibe, uh, it certainly feels different than almost any other time. And then, like, I guess start to wonder, like, so w- why, you know, I guess Advent is also supposed to be a sort of time like this too, but it has, it doesn't it's, – it's so Christmassy. Like, it doesn't really feel all that different from Christmas, right? But Lent feels different. And then, like, with our other kids too, like, they're asking, like, why, so why are you – why do you give stuff up? Why do you fast? Like, what what is the point of all this? And so I ask you that question so I can give them a better answer. Like, what – yeah, like what What are we do I like that the time is different. I like that we're like, you know, trying to recommit to faith or turn back to the Lord. But yeah, why? Why do we need this?
1: Why do we need this? Why do we need this? Um, well, first, I, I do just want to follow up a little bit on your point about Advent Feeling special, but it's also kind of like feels like everybody's doing something special during December. So there is a sense that if you're celebrating this, it, it's a little more distinct than. And I think you're right. The the um, having Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday on the same day really brought that to the fore this year. So you know, I worked with seventh or eighth graders, seventh and eighth graders for many years. And every year we talk about Lent and we talk about why we were bringing on these practices. And I would always, of course, remind them that the purpose is not to keep God from being mad at us. That's not Mm. what this is about. And they'd ask, you know, well, what happens? What happens if you have gum during Lent, but you gave it up? You know, there's no thunderbolt. There's no like finger coming out of the sky with the lightning strike. Um, it's a, Practice in resisting temptation. Mm. And as you grow, I think two two things have happened, at least for me, as I've grown. I've seen the ways that my efforts at restraint or self-denial have borne fruit in all of the good areas of my life. And I think that's a really common... Thing that people say, you don't want to just give something up. You want to make sure you're focusing on adding in prayer and participating in almsgiving. And I find that over the years, I've come to see the connection between those things really um, more clearly. And I think the other thing that's happened as I've gotten older, and I, you know, every year you sort of reevaluate, what are you going to do is. To really see throughout the year um, how things are affecting you. I mean, here's some Ignatian discernment. Mm. Um, so I'll, I'll take my gold star for mentioning Ignatian <laughs> discernment. Um, thinking about how what effect things have on your spirit. And then looking at this time of Lent as a time to say, like, this isn't this isn't working for me, or this is not bringing out the best in me, or this is causing me to be attached to the wrong things and just giving yourself a little, um, maybe I'm I'm struck by the image of a rinse. Like you're kind of rinsing out all of those things and giving yourself a little bit of a fresh start, which is not to say that there will be no more temptation or there will be no more disordered attachments in the future, but to, Interrupt those cycles, is really helpful. I'm sorry. I think I drifted away from no. I think real that, that appropriate answer.
0: <laughs> no, I think well, right, yeah. So I'm probably not going to play this back to them directly. But I think you know, it's always anytime I ask something about the kids, it's secretly asking for me, right? It just like <laughs> try to make me understand it more clearly. And I, it's funny for my in my own Lenten. Observance. There was a time, you know, as I was getting older, it's like, oh, you know what, like, I'm, the whole giving up thing, that's so old fashioned. I'm instead going to, like, do something good or, like, give up something bad, you know? As opposed to, like, giving up candy, or giving up something I liked. Let me just try to, like, give up meanness. Let me fast from meanness. Though, of course, like, we f- we're fasting so that at Easter we can feast. So, <laughs> like, the idea of then <laughs> on Easter saying, like, oh, I can go and tell everyone what I really think of them now because I've been fasting from meanness. I think, like, well, that's probably not quite right. But now I've come back around. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting more old school as I get older. But that, like, you know, there is something about picking something I like or that is a disordered attachment, as you say, which for me this year is, like, buying random stuff, like used books or hats or, uh, or just random things that I don't need, don't think about, or like on Amazon, just like clicking through and then just being like, oh, this will give me a little burst of uh, adrenaline to buy something uh, and maybe it'll make me feel happy. Anyway, all that, trying to like just cut out the random stuff and having noticed how many times I've already been like, oh, I should go buy this random stuff now. Um, it's like, oh, okay, like maybe that is like taking a place in my mind and heart in, in a way that is distracting me from other more uh, important things. So I, I do, I, despite my kind of Lenten skepticism, do think the actual old fashioned give something up, um, at least for me, is, uh, is important and is different from in a life where I don't really have to ever give anything up and can have what I want anytime.
1: Yeah, and I think as the years go by and technology develops where even more than five or 10 years ago, we can have whatever we want almost immediately with a couple mm-hmm. of clicks, mm-hmm. that that sort of self-denial becomes more and more countercultural. And also the very act of resisting temptation reminds us that we are in the season of Lent. Um so not only is like are the church's practices sanctifying the time, we are then drawing ourselves back into that time by the frequency of how often we have to resist temptation.
0: I was reading the, this great sermon by the uh, late Dominican theologian, Herbert McCabe, when he talked about Lent sort of as like us dramatizing this in our own lives, this great story of the Paschal Mystery, like uh, that through our living, I mean, through our almsgiving, we're not going to like solve world hunger um, through our fasting. Yeah, there's not like a huge amount necessarily of like things that are going to change in the world because of what we're doing, but that, that we are living in our bodies, like the commitment to this, you know to this belief, this truth and, um, and is like gesturing toward something bigger. But that it actually, again, we, it isn't as opposed, it isn't just like some old story that we kind of look at from a distance, but we put our own selves into it. There's some skin in the game there for us mm-hmm. that we have to let we get into it our, ourselves, uh, at least in this, in this particular way. Um, As someone for I know for yourself who has some background in acting and theater and um, do you feel the drama of the Lenten season?
1: Oh, for sure. And then, I mean, once you get to the tritium triduum lights out, it's just I mean, literally lights out. It's so, so powerful. And if you if you can commit to something like this year after year. Eventually, there comes a time when you really start to think about. You know how is this Holy Thursday different from a previous Holy Thursday? Or if you're in the business of liturgical ministry like I am, one day you wake up and realize you have memorized the rubric for the Easter Vigil and you no longer have to have your flashlight out looking at it frantically on your music stand as you're going through. So it's just, again, another way of marking the time and kind of taking us through these different moments.
0: And I think one big way of marking the time um, that makes it different is our liturgical music repertoire changes. And for you as a, a singer, as a liturgical musician, uh, someone who's worked with choirs, that's was the main reason I wanted to, to chat with you because I, uh, you know, the the music for a time in terms of, again, things that you, you pull out or in this case put away. Our son, who is obsessed with the Alleluia at church because we have a drum set there at our church and he's really into it, Um, does not understand why it's not there, was not there this past Sunday. So we're explaining that as well. So what is gone, um, but what is new and different and again helps us mark that time liturgically. So I asked you to pick a couple of songs. You picked two um, hymns for us, which we'll talk about now and you were gracious enough to record them and sent the beautiful recordings uh, to us. So we appreciate that. So yeah, let's let's now listen to uh, the first of the two hymns uh, you recorded for us. Again, we keep this sound fast. Great. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you so much again for uh, sharing that with us. So I want to ask you, though, Margaret, why why did you pick again? We keep this psalm fast. Tell us a little bit about this hymn.
1: So this tune is absolutely one of my favorites. Um, It's the tune is named. It's from German "Erhalt uns Herr," and it's actually a tune written by Martin Luther and in, in the 1500s. So some of the inscription for it in one of the earliest hymnal publications of it actually mentions it as being like a hymn in defense against the Pope or the papists. So we're going to forgive that of the song and, (laughs) um, enjoy it because it's definitely crept. Like much of Luther's repertoire has crept into the Catholic repertoire as well. So, um, I love that it's in E minor for folks who are into that sort of thing. We hear a lot of minor keys in Advent and Lent. I think it's fairly easy to sing. It doesn't have huge leaps in it. It doesn't have any sort of crazy rhythms. And all of the different texts that are set to it, well, I shouldn't say all of them because another big point about it is that they've taken a lot of English texts and set them to it. So a really popular one, um, in addition to this is the glory of these 40 days. There's also people put, uh, take up your cross text to this tune. Those are the three that I hear most in Catholic worship, but other hymnals have other texts that they put with it. And they tend to be texts that are, um, pretty poetically and theologically rich. There's a lot happening there. So you can kind of chew on these texts As you go. Um, So the two that I mentioned, again, we keep the solemn fast and the glory of these 40 days both happen to be English poetic translations of texts by um, attributed to St. Gregory the Great because many things were attributed to him. He's got a pretty good reputation and um, he's
0: super old just to say. Yes. Yeah. So he was what living uh, 540 to 604 about thereabouts. Yeah. So long.
1: So, time. he is super hey. old. He's had time to get credit for a lot of <laughs> music and poetry. Sure. Um, this one was translated by um, John M. Neal in the 1800s. Uh, as I, as I was looking into some of these, I saw that a couple of these texts were translated by British theologians or music ministers or pastors in the mid 1800s. And I was curious, you know, Gregory the Great, British British theologians. So there's, I didn't have time to look into it. But for any students out there, there's like a term paper in there somewhere of examining the, the process of these being being translated and brought into the repertoire. Um, so those are the two things. Uh, very simply, I love the tune. And I also love the richness of the text.
0: Yeah, I I guess part of my challenge with Lenten tunes is like, it is the minor, it's also minor key, you know, uh, they're supposed to, but it's matched in this case with, you know, so it's a solemn fast or it's glory. This, the, the line in this though, the Lent which binds us lovingly to faith and hope and charity, there's a, a spirit there of, um, that we undertake this with joy, um, but yeah, it's sometimes I just feel oh, it's slow, it's weighing me down. Like, um, convince me to um, stop worrying and embrace the minor key of I'll Lent. Just sing it faster. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it does drag, doesn't it? <laughs> things, <laughs> things can drag. Only um, so
1: many things are in our control. I understand that.
0: Yeah. So, like, yeah. So, what? What about the mood? Why are minor for folks who are not music theorists like minor keys in Lent? What is that doing? What does that do to you when you are in that space?
1: For some reason, in, and I'm sure there's research on this, in Western tonalities, minor keys are the sad ones. Um, I don't know why. And it, it, it is interesting that we have used this as another sensory, experiential way of indicating the season. That we're in, I actually think it's even it's more striking in Advent. Um, a lot of our hymns in Advent are in minor keys, particularly in E minor. We had a, a the pianist for a group that I work with who was encountering some of this music for the first time during Advent, and she leaned over to our director and said, "Why are these songs so sad?" <laughs> she so she noticed too that there was a lot of minor key happening. You know, I, I like the word solemn. I think I think solemnity is is a better word perhaps than sad. And it's just another way to engage a different aspect of us that brings out something about the season.
0: Yeah, because what are what are like Lenten emotions like or you know, what, what does it feel like? I'm trying to get, let's like tease this out a little bit more, you know, like, so there is that, yeah, there is that, like, is it that for me, it's like some kind of heaviness. Like I'm feeling as I'm listening to this, like kind of like my head is bowed down. Maybe, uh, maybe my eyes are closed. There's like that, um, we want to avoid, you know, and I don't, as you're saying, like, it's not like we have to make God happy or something. That's not kind of what Lent is about there's that feeling of like, oof, like I'm not celebrating after I scored a touchdown with this, like I'm not playing it in the <laughs> marching band after, it. there is like oof, there's some, there's something I like, kind of broke in here, some atonement that needs to happen, some uh, kind of coming, coming, singing this like in that spirit of like um, I'm sorry and help, I guess, I, I don't know. What, mm. what about for you?
1: there's something about Lent that I've had, this isn't really an emotion maybe, but there is an element of focus. Like mm-hmm. it kind of brings things to us and gives us some clarity with an, an emphasis on how we need to be in relationship with God and with one another or perhaps maybe how we need to be, how we are, how we can be. Um, I I tend to think in terms of you know what we're made for and yeah. taking some time to recognize the ways that we're not living up to what we're made for is perhaps sad but also hopeful in the sense of you know we're not made for this we're not made for mindless Amazon consumption, or in my case, mindless Instagram real consumption. Mm. Um, we're made for something more transcendent than that. And that's that's what we're moving towards through this process of self-reflection. Mm. I, I really like the last stanza of, again, we keep this solemn fast um, in the translation that we're working with. We pray, O oh, blessed three in one, our God, while endless ages run, that this, our Lent of 40 days, may bring us growth and give you praise. May bring us growth and give you praise. I think that's a really nice statement um, about... We We have this intention during Lent of our own progress, but it's not a progress just so that we can live our best lives, right. but it's a progress that's meant to give glory to God because we are living in the way that God calls us to live, that God wants right. us to live, what God made us for.
0: Yeah, which I, I think is like can be a helpful reminder, especially when like I'm tempted to see Lent as like a self-improvement plan. You know, like I'm going to diet, so I'll just do it in Lent. Um, So there, as opposed to kind of like switching the the perspective, and I do think too, like because I'm thinking now this hymn being kind of slow and minor in minor key, there's that sense too. Like Lent is pretty capacious, right? It's long. It's a lot Mm. longer than Advent. Like there's kind of time to settle in, and the idea of like kind of slowing down in order to do some of this reflection. That it's it's very hard to kind of live reflectively when you're kind of flitting thing to thing, right? It's just not stopping to like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I living who I'm, as who I'm meant to be? So like the the pace maybe then can invite some of that. Like I'm gonna turn everything down a notch and like kind of marinate in this time and then really use it. And I think hopefully that can take away some of the pressure. I know like length gets shorter and shorter as we get older, but it still is like, it's a significant hunk of time. But to kind of like try to slow down and like just be be in that and use the time. Um,
1: And I think over time you you get comfortable or you get it kind of works its way into your routine that Lent doesn't end with going back to normal. Lent ends with a celebration, um, which hopefully for many of us, if we're able to this is a celebration with people we love. Um, It involves food and things that taste good and bright colors and at least in the northern hemisphere brightening skies and and good weather and love and relationship. So having that as and then of course the easter season as the culmination of all of this. Again, it's something that comes with time when you start to recognize the rhythms of lent that you just alluded to, but it's it, that gives it gives me a hint of of a way to think about lent.
0: Hmm okay cool let's look at the next song you picked which is one of my favorites Um, were you there Uh, were you there when they crucified my lord the african-american spiritual Um, so we'll we'll play a bit of your recording of that for us right now Oh is such a, a beautiful a hymn, isn't it? It's just what it can do to what it's done to me uh, in times of hearing it, what it can do to a congregation and you can just see it working its power. So why, why did you pick this one?
2: Oh,
1: one of the things that I like most about it and that I think is really striking in contrast to the hymns that we just talked about, where I was talking about like these dense theological texts, um, peripheral texts expressing a lot This does a lot with very little, Hmm. Um, and it sort of crystallizes an element of our relationship with sorrow and grief and sadness and suffering. The fact for um, Americans in particular, but really for all listeners, knowing that it comes out of the Um, African-American tradition out of the slave spirituals and the real suffering and harm and sin that it comes out of, I would hope would remind, remind listeners what the stakes are and remind folks that suffering is not an abstraction. It's not just something that happened to Jesus. blessings on those those folks who who are able to still feel that way. So the historical connection and it, in addition to that, it being a way to honor the wisdom of the African-American spiritual tradition by its inclusion is, is something that I find really powerful about it. But it's just so simple and it calls to mind for me the importance of presence that sometimes presence is enough um to be alongside someone to accompany someone it's just asking were you there and depending on where you are in your life that might feel like an indictment it might feel like an invitation um it might feel like a consolation It might remind you, um, as it has for me at times, that on sort of the flip side of that, you know, Jesus is there with me when I'm the one who's bleeding, when I'm the one who's suffering, that um, Jesus also accompanies me in these similar situations. Um, It is, this is one that I don't usually take fast to get back to Tempe in in liturgy. We do this. So with the liturgy arts group at Boston college, we almost always do this as our closing song on Palm Sunday. And the edition we use, it has three verses in it, which isn't that many, but the piece is kind of long. So it's got people there for a bit. Um, And I know a lot of Catholic congregations aren't used to doing all the verses (laughs) of anything. Mm. Um, But you know, we usually do it we get we go from loud to soft and instruments start to drop out and we're it's just the singers' voices at the end. And there's really this like journey in those three, four or five minutes of those three verses that it's really one of it's often one of the most moving moments of the year for me in um doing music direction for the undergrads at Boston College.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there's. I feel like a lot, despite it being, you know, simple on the surface. I think and simple to sing, which uh, there's so much to to unpack with it. I think a, a good place is like, what? Yeah, what is that? That question. You know, it's an interesting question. Were you there? Like, no. Well, no. It's being sung a long time after the events happened. So is it? Uh, so it's not. It's probably not a question about like, oh, were you literally there two thousand years ago on Calvary? Um, but where? Like, have you been there in your heart? Is someone looking for? Connection with another, perhaps, because it's, hey, this is my my Lord. Were you there when they crucified my Lord, and makes it causes me to tremble. So, you're kind of looking, seeking that kind of connection with someone else, even in another, another person. Um, I guess it could be also thought of as a question addressed to God the Father. Right. Mm. Um, there are a lot of ways to think about uh, how that the question is formulated. Um, and also to me, like very, then very Ignatian too, like right, in which in spiritual exercises, like encouraged to like put yourself in the gospel scene and imagine it. Imagine the, the use your senses to compose the place and then talk with Jesus, see what's going on there, uh, what happens to you. And so I think the song too is the invitation, like, oh, was I there? Could I be there? What would that mean to be there? That mean, and For me, I, I always certainly get into that imaginative space. Uh, when singing or listening to to this hymn. Yeah. Like, oh, OK, what would it be like to be there? Which I think, again, is uh, certainly in that Ignatian tradition.
1: Yeah. And I, I also like the way that it it kind of slows us down, which sometimes you see this in, in the exercises, too, is you're kind of you're revisiting a scene over and over. So it's not like were you there when they crucified him? Yes. No. OK, let's move on. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? You, they asked the question in each verse three times. Which really gives you the time and space to do that sort of introspection that you were describing.
0: Yeah, and the, the repetition, um, repetition is always interesting to me, and I was like working with a, a kid's choir for Christmas for the first time. young kids just this past Christmas, and you know a lot of the Christmas hymns too, like all hymns have repetition. And so if we're gonna sing this same line three times, like, oh, come, let us adore him, how can we change it? As we're singing it to make it interesting, so it's not just the same thing. what's the point of this and the kind of the sense of it being emphasized kind of the re- repetition like letting it kind of sink in, but it also musically it um and it's the way it you know kind of naturally moves uh, kind of crescendos through toward that that o part uh, in the middle um you yeah, know what, what for you the the repetition of it what power does that have in the uh, within the, within the hymn.
1: Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I think it just, it, it allows you maybe to answer the question differently every time or just to go deeper mm-hmm. into the question each time. I think your, your observation about the way that it builds, you know, it starts in one register of the voice and then it goes up a little bit. And then you have the big, Oh, mm-hmm. sometimes it causes me to tremble, takes us way, way down. And then the last line is a little more, subdued again. So the music itself builds in some drama that shows us that maybe we're using the same words, but maybe we're not quite asking the same question each time.
0: Hmm. And musically, you know, really heartbreaking, but also not in a minor key. <laughs> so it's a, right. I mean, so what it is uh, It's different from, from there's those. so it's there's not... so
1: many ways to be somber you know?
0: Yeah, right? <laughs> um, but there is something about it that does feel, that there's almost like that kind of sweetness in the sadness uh, sort of in that, which is maybe where kind of pull some emotion from, but uh, yeah. And just the thing too, as you're describing, like people who would have, if this coming out of slavery, the, the pain of that and faith in that instance being some sort of, you know, a consolation, but also like singing about crucifixion and bodily suffering coming from a, a place of intimate knowledge that none of us will ever experience in that same way. Um, giving some of that like added power to it. People who had known crucifixion in their lives in a really pretty tangible way. Um, and that, and that suffering, uh, yeah, there's a distance for me from that. I think, you know, like I certainly like, that's not my experience. Um, but to be moved by the, the beauty that could come out of that um, time is, uh, is powerful. Um, and it clearly has resonated because this is a hymn that's been recorded by a lot of really famous singers. You know, Johnny Cash has done it, Harry Belafonte. Um, my favorite version is uh, Mavis Staples, who's uh, still with us, Paul Robeson in a famous r- rendition. Um, do you, why do you think it has kind of taken on, has become like one of these uh, kind of standards beyond even liturgical settings, but sung by popular singers and um, out of church? Yeah, novels? that's
1: another thing that I think is really great about it is that you can experience it in sort of different formats. Like you're not going at home and sitting back in the recliner and popping in a CD of The Glory of These 40 Days, um, but right. you might with something like Were <laughs> You There? Um, it Simple enough that people can make it their own or it's simple enough that people can show their virtuosity in simplicity, which is sometimes a lot harder than just singing a really hard song. Um, Bringing something new to something simple is more challenging. Um, I would say in terms of the attraction for like performers, there's something there. And then there's also, Something like we talked about, there's such a opportunity for such multiplicity of meaning in the text that I can see why it would be attractive to many different people sure. from a performer's perspective of thinking about, you know, what would I wanna sing in front of people? What would I want to record, you know?
0: Sure. So maybe we could, Wrap up as you mentioned a performer's perspective as someone who's on that side often um, and has spent a lot of time uh, liturgically in within Lent, kind of deep within that. I'm just wondering for us, you know, as we're going into the you know the Masses, the the liturgical experience for those of us who can make it to the whole Triduum or or parts of it. what are things that you love every year or things that you might invite us to try to like pay attention to or, or see if we notice, um, yeah, are there anything that we can look forward to, um, that maybe as part of our own prayer, uh, this Lent, um, mm. we can keep an eye on.
1: Well, I always wear pink on Latare Sunday. That's always fun for me. If you just want to, if you want to really enter into the season, you can, you can make sure to observe Latare Sunday. A little pink flare um as we get into the triduum there's a couple moments for me i would say probably holy thursday might be my favorite night of the liturgical year so i know it's a thursday but maybe folks can can find their way to um a place to pray i I'm always really moved by the, um, I'm forgetting the word for it, transposition. When when they, the procession with the Eucharist out of the sanctuary into a chapel. And usually you're singing the Pange Lingua chant, which is one a really ancient chant again with some rich theology in there. Um, and it's just so different People are moving. There's incense. We're kind of walking down the aisles. Depending on where you are, you're like going and taking a weird route, and maybe you're going downstairs or you're going outside. You know, um, the I find that really striking and really moving. And, and maybe it's just because it's different. It's also can also be very hard when you're trying to juggle. You've got the hymnal, and maybe you're carrying a microphone, and you're in high heels, and you're trying not to fall down the stairs. Right. So. Keep an eye out for that, I guess. Yeah.
0: No, I think like, and that kind of underscores what we've been talking about. A lot is like this difference, right? That there are different things. And I think, again, for our kids is like trying to point that out. But even for our own selves where, you know, life can feel like all right, I'm doing this thing, I have these routines, i working here, I do this on the weekend, like whatever it is, that like the differences can kind of shake us up a little bit in a in a way that then causes us to some examination and, and reflection. And so just like even kind of noticing those differences and those sensory differences yeah, within the liturgy, especially like you can feel it. Again, it looks, it looks, sounds, smells uh, different than it does uh, any other time. And so maybe that could be as I'm kind of finalizing my own Lenten observance, is like, can I just pay better attention? Despite having three kids at, young kids at mass, can I like try to pay attention to the differences and maybe invite them into that? Um, but I think that, you know, that seems like a good commitment for the rest of this Lenten season.
1: That sounds great. Um, it sounds like, too, maybe they're paying a little attention for you.
0: So yeah. You're seeing right? it
1: through their eyes. That's really beautiful.
0: Yeah. Well, Margaret Felice, thank you so much for coming on this conversation and for sharing your gifts with us, uh, your musical gifts and uh, your, the depth of your own uh, reflection. So, yeah, thank you so much. And I uh, uh, hope you have a, a blessed uh, Lenten and Easter season.
1: Amen. My pleasure. Blessed Lent.
0: AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are The Jesuits, and facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation with the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to AMDG on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.